You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. God's in the business of restoring life and rebuilding what the enemy has destroyed. Satan's after every one of us, and he hates it. He hates it when we repent. He hates it when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. He hates it when we mature and we get, start to get involved. And listen, the faithfulness in the small things, it's somebody showing up and straightening up the chairs. It's the ushers coming and helping people. It's the children's workers ministering over here. It's all the little things that make the church the church. As Pastor Danny continues his teaching series through the book of Zechariah, he'll be challenging you to repent of any known sin in your life. God desires to forgive you, to heal you, to cleanse you, and to build you up even if you've chosen a life of sin. The Lord wants you to return from a bad direction you're going and to begin going down the right path. It's the devil that tries to convince you that it's too late to repent. The Holy Spirit is the voice that's drawing you with love to come back and be forgiven. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Zechariah chapter 1 as he continues his message, Zechariah part 1. Where are you going to find that while some things you go, on the surface, that seemed complicated. Once you figure it out, it's actually pretty simple. You know what the message of Zechariah is? In summary, same message in the whole Bible. Same message of all the prophets. Here's what it is. God calls people to repent. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And if you do not repent, judgment. You don't have to be judged. All you got to do is repent. All you got to do is turn. All you got to do is receive the forgiveness. All you got to do is turn to God. And what God wants to do is restore. Restore. That's the message of the Bible. God wants to give us hope. God wants to give us peace. God wants to give us joy. God wants us to have Christmas all year round. And what you'll find is there are these historical things that happen repeatedly. He calls people to repent. Some do. Some don't. Most don't. And the ones that don't ultimately face judgment. The ones that do, they experience what God wants to do. Listen to the practical implications of this. I was just reading in the Gospel of John, the thief, it's the devil, he's come to steal, he's come to kill, he's come to destroy. It's never been more fresh than it is for me this weekend. I don't know if you saw on the news, I don't know if you saw the headlines this past week, 25-year-old young man, he's a roofer, 
He goes to work. A few days ago, he never got to get on the roof that day. Before they got in their trucks and went out to do roofing, guy comes up behind him wearing a mask, pumps two bullets in the back of his head, and then pumps his body full of bullets. He's gone. 25 years old. I get the phone call. His mother, off and on, has been part of our church for years. Her son, when I saw the pictures, I remembered him. We baptized him in 2017 at a sunrise service. I did the service yesterday. The place was packed. Every Christmas now, that mother and that family is going to feel the pain and the loss and the ruin of what sin has done to their family. Somebody filled with hatred pulled a gun and did a wicked thing. And hell is rejoicing. That's what hell loves. Satan loves it. It's, it's so twisted, isn't it? Don't you just hate Satan because he just he's so twisted. He loves that kind of stuff. He loves to rob people of life. He loves to rob people of hope. He loves to squelch your dreams. He loves you when you have to, he loves it when you have to sit around at Christmas and everybody else is full of joy and you are just absolutely miserable. Imagine what it was like for these people in a foreign land, their homes and their lives devastated. But God comes. God calls men like Zechariah. And even though the devil's been allowed to do all this damage, he says, look, there's still hope if you'll just repent. I got to stand yesterday at that funeral and unashamedly and clearly communicate that the only hope is in Jesus. And I prayed and I prayed and I still pray that some of those people heard deep in their heart. That the tragedy wouldn't be in vain. That Jason wouldn't have died in vain. That they would face death and realize that though tragic it is, especially in that situation, there's hope. God's a God of hope in the midst of hopelessness. And He calls people and He says, if you'll just hear, if you'll just turn, I have something for you. I have life for you. I'll restore. I'll build. And I'll give you hope for the future that nobody else could give you. That's the message of the prophets. That's the message of Zechariah. And it has a historical meaning and a historical, a historical setting. But don't miss this. Throughout here, just like I've shown you this morning, in places like Zechariah, there's a double meaning. There's a double reference. There's a metaphor of something yet future. There's a call to repentance and there's an ultimate future final judgment and you want to escape that. You want to escape that because it's coming. It's coming. Don't become like those people. Don't say, well, I'm okay and I got time. No, you may not. Jason thought he had time. Never expected to head out in eternity this past week. 25 years old. God's calling. While there's time, repent. Because God, God 
There's a king coming. He's, he's the branch, and he's a priest, and he's a king, and he is going to bring ultimate restoration. And those who repent and those who turn to Jesus, you're going to live in a world where there's no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. Don't become like the people on the plane that I am like sometimes too when you hear them talk about all the safety briefings and the things that it might happen if we, if we go into the water or whatever and you say, it's not going to happen to me. Don't be like that spiritually. Well, there's the summary. What's the application? When you study these prophets... You read places like Ezra, and Ezra chapter 5 tells us that God raised up Zechariah, and one of his contemporaries was Haggai. Haggai. That little two-chapter book, prophetic book of Haggai. There were three phases in God allowing people to return from foreign lands, and they came back to the land of Israel, both north and south, and they began to rebuild what the enemy had destroyed. And it was quite a task. You read books like Nehemiah, and God called Nehemiah. He was an administrator, and he was, he was gifted in being able to put people to work and, and put leaders to work and people under them. But it was a daunting task. It was a lot to do. Whenever you, whenever you give your life to the Lord, whenever you repent, whenever you decide you're going to really, you really give your life to Jesus, that's when the devil really perks up. And he hates, he hates, hates now the fact that you've turned to the Lord and you've put yourself in God's hands for Him to rebuild your life. And when you're a part of the church and God's restored you and you have some bit of maturity and now you say, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do my part in the kingdom of God and I'm going to, I'm going to do something to make a difference. He hates that too. And so here's the deal. When God comes in and begins to do a work of restoring lives, I looked down last service, young lady Lauren, she's in her 20s. I couldn't believe the first time she came to me months ago and shared her story with me. She was on the streets in Sarasota. She was on the streets in Sarasota. She's blonde. I mean, you look at her and you go, she's just a lovely young woman. She was on the streets. She was addicted to drugs. Her life ruined. And she heard the call. And she responded, and she repented, and she received Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Now she's part of our church. She's in a facility now, a residence where she's getting help. And she came to me a few weeks ago, and she said, when I get out, I need a mentor. I said, we'll get you one. And she's a prime example of somebody that God is restoring. And we have an opportunity to have a hand in her restoration so that she also becomes one now who will help others to be restored. But if you talk to her as I have off and on for the last few weeks, because she comes up every week and gives me a hug. And every week says, would you pray for me? And you better know the opposition. You better know when God's doing something to restore, Satan is doing everything he can to oppose. And what happened? What happened? And listen, it's just a very summary, but what happened was these guys came and they began to preach and people began to repent and people that had already been moved to repent, they are beginning now to do things and then Satan says, I'm going to stop that. And he comes and he opposes them. 
Haggai had to come along with Zechariah. You know what happened? Because of the opposition, some people got their priorities messed up. Because the devil had so convinced them that, oh, because of all that's going on, it's just, I can't do, I can't do that, you know? And, and they started to just focus on their own lives and their own families. And they got their priorities messed up. And if I was ever to be a prophet and God said, I'll let you be one of my prophets, I'd choose Haggai. You know why? Haggai went and said, you guys have got your priorities messed up. You focus just on your own life. You're not giving yourself to the things of the church. You're not helping out with the, the daily things that need to happen so that people like Lauren can see their lives restored. And you're not doing anything but just attending church. And that's what happened. And Haggai came and he presented that to the people. And Haggai, chapter 1, verse 12 says, From the king on down, all the people repented. And they readjusted their priorities. And while they needed to be responsible for their own families, they then, they then said, but we got to get back to the work. we got to get back to the work of the kingdom as well. I tell young couples, I'm happy for you. One of my best friends, he's a leader in our church here. His son, his first of four kids, got married on Friday. I was at the wedding. They're in Hawaii right now. They're living it up, honeymoon, you know. But the danger is, the danger is, and I tell young people, look, you're Christian, and you're a Christian couple now. It'd be so easy for you just to get focused on your own life and your own family and buying a house, and then you start to have kids, and, and then you're just focused on your own world. Don't you do that. Don't you do that. So the opposition came, and here's how I'm going to close. And when I say close, that means i got about 13 to 14 more minutes. If you read between the lines of all the prophets and all the things that were happening, the opposition came because God was doing a good work. God was doing a good work. And things are being restored. Things are being rebuilt from what the enemy had destroyed. And these guys like Zechariah and these guys, Joshua, the ancient Joshua, the old Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, these guys, they're, they're men, women, just like me and you. They're humans. They need an encouragement. And I want to take you three last points and we're done. Three last points and we're done. Zechariah chapter 4. And boy, did I need this. I told the Lord yesterday when I finished my notes, I said, if nobody comes to church this weekend because of the rain, I'll just talk to myself. <laughs> Zechariah chapter 4, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Sometimes the task seems so daunting and you just go, I don't know how in the world we're going to be able to do this. Well, good news. <laughs> you don't have to do it. God will do it. We have responsibility. But God's the one that's going to do the work. doesn't depend on me. doesn't depend on my ability. doesn't depend on our, our own righteousness. Chapter 3 deals with Joshua, the high priest, and Joshua's got filthy clothes and he's a... He, he's a, he's a Stick, snatched from the fire. And the angel of the Lord comes to him. That's Christ in the Old Testament. And he puts clean clothes on him. Clean clothes on him. Just now, I've taken away your sin. Not because of our righteousness. Not because of us. Because of him. And so, God speaks and says, I want you to have complete confidence in me. Not yourself. Complete confidence in me. That's not all he says. Then he says, verse 7, What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, 
you'll become level ground. Zerubbabel is the governor. His name's an interesting meaning. It means confusion in Babylon. The idea is confusion in the world. But when you hear the voice of God, things become clear. Don't get all confused. It's clear. Keep your confidence in the Lord. Secondly, don't look at the mountain. Don't look at the challenge. Don't look at the obstacle. Keep your eyes on God who moves mountains. Peter, there in the midst of the storm, Jesus comes walking on the water in the storm. Take courage, it's me. Peter says, if it's you, let me come to you. Come on. He steps out of the boat and he walks on the water in the storm until he gets his eyes off of Jesus and onto the storm. Don't look at the mountain or the obstacle or whatever you're facing. (laughs) Keep your focus on a God who moves mountains. I felt like my faith is so small. I'm 62 and a half. I want to grow. I went to Matthew where Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll obey you. And I said, Lord, help me. Complete confidence in the Lord. Faith in a God who moves mountains. And then finally, chapter 4, Zechariah, verse 10. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Again, we don't have time to go into detail, but when you read places like Ezra, Ezra tells us when they begin to measure for the rebuilding and they would begin to lay the foundation, people came, old, young, middle-aged, And they saw the foundation being laid. And the younger people that had not seen the former temple, they began to rejoice and shout and go, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be glorious. But the older people who had seen the former temple, and they looked at this one and they go, never going to be like it was. Never going to be like it was in the old days. The old days are so much better and it's never going to be like it was. And it says the emotion was so great, and some were shouting and filled with joy. Others were weeping. And it says you couldn't distinguish, thank God, between the weeping and the rejoicing. Complete confidence in the Lord. Faith in a God who moves mountains. And faithfulness in the small things. When you look and you go, it's never going to be like it was. Shut up! I said that to me, not to you. You ready for the finale? It's good. You awake? Go back to chapter one. I'm almost done. Chapter one. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. What does that mean? Well... Zechariah means whom Jehovah remembers. Berechiah means Jehovah blesses. Edo means the appointed time. 
You can't make this kind of stuff up. You put them together. And here's the opening message in the first verse. Jehovah remembers and blesses at the appointed time. Here's what the New Testament tells us. Let us not become weary in doing good. And need to hear this. <laughs> For the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. I went a little Pentecostal <laughs> after I finished my notes. <laughs> and if I was Pentecostal, yeah, here's how I might end it. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, at the proper time, I said, I said, I said, I said at the proper time. And let me tell you what the proper time is. The proper time, the proper time is not your time. The proper time is not your wife's time. The proper time is not your husband's time. The proper time is not the preacher's time. The proper time is God's time. Can I get an amen to that? I said it's God's time. Yeah. Because if I'm going to deliver the closing in a Pentecostal way, I expect you to respond in a Pentecostal way. Can I get an amen to that? I said, I said, I said, God says, God says, and he says it in his word, and it's right here, and I want you to say it with me, and I want you to say it like you mean it. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up at the proper time. Listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. As we leave this place, listen to me very carefully. If you be faithful in the small things, and you don't let the devil discourage you, and you don't get your eyes on what he's trying to do to discourage you, but you keep your eyes on the God who moved mountains. And then God's time, your miracle is coming. Probably good I'm not Pentecostal because if I had to do that three services every weekend, I'd be dead. God's in the business of restoring lives and rebuilding what the enemy has destroyed. Satan's after every one of us. And he hates it. He hates it when we repent. He hates it when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. He hates it when we mature and we get, start to get involved. And listen... The faithfulness in the small things. It's somebody showing up and straightening up the chairs. It's the ushers coming and helping people. It's the children's workers ministering over here. It's all the little things that make the church the church. Jump in somewhere. And jump in relationally because part of the rebuilding process is in our relations to one another and us encouraging one another. You never know. You, know, you never know when a situation like that service I did yesterday when the devil, the devil inspired somebody to take a gun and take somebody's life. And now it's just devastated a family. And it's the church's job. It's our job. It's our job to come alongside and encourage one another, especially in those times. It's our job even in the world to, to, to tell them, look, as I got to do yesterday at that funeral, to tell them, look, there is hope. I know the pain is acute. I know the pain. It's terrible, but there's hope.
Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. Pastor Danny's study, Gleanings from the Old Testament, will continue next time, so be sure to tune in again. Through this study, you'll meet a variety of characters, some strong in their faith and others not, some who seem to have a massive role in society and others who only have a minor part to play. Each person and each situation have a valuable lesson for you though, and it's worth your time and attention. You can and should learn from their triumphs as well as their failures, and you can take comfort in the one that they all served, your Creator, God Himself. You also have the privilege of seeing the future that they had yet to know. You have the rest of Scripture to dig into as well. Today, we encourage you to read again the passage that Pastor Danny taught on, or turn to another part of the Bible. You won't be disappointed, and God has plenty to tell you on every page of Scripture. It truly is the living Word. If you'd like to explore more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series or others, we encourage you to visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons to be directed to our YouTube page, and we'd love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. That website one more time is ccfstpete.church. That's all we have time for for today. We'll continue walking through the Old Testament next time, right here on The Living Word.